Well, um, we are in this series where we're talking about how we truly move from here to there, and part of that has been about understanding the different generations as they come along. And we have been blessed, truly blessed with a church that is multi-generational, has been touched and led to this point by many who have invested their life, and you're sitting in a building, many of you here, watching because of people who invested their lives through the years to bring the gospel and to touch people's hearts with Jesus. And I just have to say, one of our dear saints, um, Bev Schultz, 96 years of age, this uh, Friday passed away due to complications, but through COVID. And uh, our hearts go out to them, and there's been so many. We've continue just thank God for the ministry we have through all the generations that come along. But I wanted to show that commercial as a kind of what we call a bumper to get us into the message because one of the things that's truly difficult is learning how to let go maybe of some things we've been taught from our generation if we've been in the church and and then to move into places where you can impact and, and truly touch the hearts and lives of others. And so We need to learn how to communicate the gospel to a new generation. And that's one of the things that's been a part of our heart and been a part of our church's heart since the very founding of this church by five women who gathered together and prayed that they would have a church that could be a place where children, Sunday school, could teach kids to know Jesus and follow Christ. And so that's been a part of our heritage. So we're on this here to there roadmap. And, and the thing we talk about in impact, what I think is interesting, we have such a, as I watched our Chinese ministry here, we have such a limited view of God's impact. This church has made an impact in a community in Peru that we won't have an understanding of how many lives have been touched in Poland and in Mongolia. And then I think of God just bringing this Chinese ministry to us about 11 years ago. We have no idea. You can look at churches that may be 10, 15, 20,000 people, but what God has done is through the last 11 years has touched one Chinese life after another through you, through your gifts, through what God has called you to do. And we have no idea of those who go back to China who are bringing the gospel there and how many people's lives are being impacted. God does. We're just called to be faithful. And this is another step where we're just saying, God, we want to be faithful. We're in this process of here to there. And we're asking ourselves, how do we communicate to a post-Christian world to an increasing number of people who label themselves, mostly they label themselves nuns, but they can also be called duns. The whole idea of nuns is it's a, it's a age group from about 40 on down, 40 years of age on down, called millennials or Gen Zs. And they don't want any label except to be called religiously unaffiliated. They're not saying they're not spiritual. There's some who might claim to be atheists or they may claim to be um, agnostics, but as one person coined the term, many of them call themselves apatheists. means they're just combining apathy with the whole idea of God. They don't really care. In some cases, they're not just nuns, they're, they're actually duns, which means they're through with Christianity as they see it today as it's been 
in some ways just co-opted with with politics and, and others who have looked at all the scandals that have happened in some of the major, Christ, major Christian leaders. And, and they continue to look at sometimes our approach to even the sciences and on and on. And, and they, they kind of go, I've been there, done that. I want to be a nun and I'm done. And so we talked about this this last week and I would encourage you to go to that message. But the church's credibility is at a low, all-time low and the church's witness, it must change to reach the world around us. As I said last week, no longer can we just tell them about Jesus and, and the gospel the way we used to. Whether it be, as you remember, through Billy Graham Crusades, or you were a part of an evangelism explosion, where you would go to people's doors if they visited the church. No longer can we do like they did in the movement just a generation before us in the boomer movement where they said, let's, let's try and make as attractive as possible the gospel to those who are seeking. And they were seeking. There are a lot of people as they got into their early years and started having kids, they said, you know what? We were in church. We should get back to church. And so what the church did is they said, let's show them so that we can tell them. Let's make church really relevant. So that when they come, we're not out of touch with regard to the music or we're not out of touch with the way we communicate or the way we dress or whatever it may be. And then today we look at a whole group generation that is coming up. In fact, if you look at the Gen Z generation, we'll look at this a little bit more next week. They are the most lonely, disillusioned generation coming that we've um, actually, research shows. And so the, the key to reaching this generation becomes clear that you need to know them so that you can live before them and show them and eventually tell them. It's just kind of been reversed. And getting to know someone, truly understanding And getting to a place where they understand and know you takes time. It just doesn't happen overnight. It takes a a real amount, just a, a, a commitment that you will be vulnerable so that they will be vulnerable and you can walk together. So as we move these here to their resets, and we'll be speaking about these resets a bit more in our congregational meeting that follows us at 11.15, but I will just briefly touch on them in a moment. But what I want to say before we get started is we are going to, as elders and as a church leadership and staff, we're asking that we would, we would abide by some commitments through this process. It's going to be a process. And there are, there are what I would call four commitments that we will strive together for unity. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Just live up to what you've been called. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. And catch this. Make every effort. Strive, it says in some versions. To keep yourselves united in spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Which really goes back to chapter 2 of this of this letter of Ephesians where, where he says you, the dividing wall of hostility between the Gentile and Jew has been torn down and we have as it says in, in verse 14 of chapter 2 for Jesus himself is our peace he's the one 
who has made the two one. He's the bond that keeps us together. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. And then Paul gets into this whole idea of one. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. And so what I want to say is we really want to strive together for unity. We do not want to look like the world as we process together and have dialogue and discussion and, 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 and share with each other what we think the word of God has to say or how we understand these things. And unity, it's just important that we define that unity does not mean uniformity. We're not asking everyone to be the same. We're not asking people who are in the silent generation to become millennials or boomers become Gen Z. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about sameness. And unity doesn't mean unanimity, which means this idea of unanimous. It means relational and missional. By relational, it means we will disagree, we can have civil discussions, we can listen and seek to understand. We can remain in relationship because we're bonded to Jesus. It's based on the great commandment, love God and love one another. Missional, we will agree on the majors and not allow minors to divide us. We will pursue the mission 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20 is pretty clear. And God gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's our mission. How do we reconcile ourselves to one another and also to God? Well, we don't do that. Jesus did that, and that's what we want to tell people about. The second thing is we will be anchored in the word of God. So lest you get nervous, we are not about trying to find the, the, the whims or direction of culture, putting our finger up in the air and finding out where culture is moving and saying, well, let's do that. We are about being anchored in the word of God. But we also want to make sure, as I said, that we're anchored in the majors and not in the minors and recognize there will be disagreement at times around that. So we will be anchored in God's word. We will be led by the spirit. All we are and do is because of the gift that Jesus gave us through the Holy Spirit. There is, there is nothing we can accomplish without the spirit of God. And we will also be people of prayer. That's why we took this time where COVID allowed us to say, let's really dig into being people of prayer. This pause is a God-allowed opportunity to say, God, we want to grow to be, as you have called us, Jesus, to be a house of prayer. A time of confession and repentance. And so we want to be guided by this great commandment of loving God and loving others. And guided, guided by this great, what we call, commission of, of making disciples, training people in what it means to follow Jesus. And we want to do that in unity together. We want to do it anchored in God's word. We want to do it because we know that the spirit of God has to be the one that leads us. And we also want to do this from a platform of prayer. So, 
Those are some commitments that I wanted just to get out there right away as we begin to talk about Reset. And what I found it really important that as we were processing through this as a leadership team and the process with the staff is there are some biblical principles that undergird our reset. There have been times of pause, not COVID pauses, but in the word of God, there's been times of pause before, before God makes resets. Do you know the very first big reset occurred from the last prophet of Malachi till the coming of John the Baptist, a 400 year pause. Before the old covenant became the new covenant and Jesus was born. Do you know that even before um, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, take a time for pause. I want you to go up in the upper room and I want you to pray that your hearts would be in line with my heart. And then he, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the people. And what I find is interesting is he poured out the Holy Spirit He was doing this and he was allowing for pause because he was making some major shifts. You have to put this into perspective. These were Jewish people who had grown up in the old covenant. And they had gone to a temple and they had been served by a priesthood. And they had made sacrifices and they had lived with ceremonial laws. And now with Gentiles coming to Christ there became a question about one of their important laws, which is the law of of circumcision. And and I think about that idea that that this people, they were kind of beginning to debate this. And, And so what you have to do is say, okay, God, if there has been pauses before where you've reset things, is there any scripture that we can use as a basis to make some decisions? And so if you turn to Acts 15, if you have a Bible that you have before you or with you, or you can see it on the screen, I'm going to read you verses 1 through 21, because the council provides some biblical principles when it comes to a reset. And so in 15, verse 1, it says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judah arrived and began to teach the believers, Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them and argued vehemently. So I think that's interesting. Even in the early church, there was this profound discussion going on. And finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. And the church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. And there they told them, much to everyone's joy, that Gentiles too were being converted. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. And they reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Now just look at that word there for just a second. Go back. That they must be. It it makes, in my mind, perfect sense. Here is Abraham, who circumcision was an identifying mark of the people of God. And if you follow through, a person would go, by Moses, look at Moses. He was on his way to fulfill his destiny, his mission to Egypt when he left that wilderness to go there. And on the way, it says God almost killed him. Look at Exodus chapter 4, I think it's around verse 23. And, and it says that Zipporah had to come and circumcise her son in order to preserve his life. This was not some minor little thing that was changing. And I think it's interesting 
there is just hearty debate around this. And then if you go on, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue. At the meeting, after long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And when they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the same uh, about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take them from the people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. This is what the word of God, as it is written. So let's look at scripture. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen household of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those have called to be mine. And the Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. There are four things listed there. We're not going to talk much about that. Um, but the word sexual immorality is something timeless, obviously. But all these were connected with the kind of ritualistic pagan worship that was happening in the cities where there were Gentiles and then there were Jewish synagogues. And so he says this, for these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So does my, um, is, that, is that my last slide? Yeah. So, and they asked him to go out and to bring that letter in order to be respectful for those who are um, Jews as they're processing and moving through this change. So what I want to share with you is what I would call four observations, or even more than that, principles that I think we as a church need to understand that was from this word when we look at things around change. And the first thing is this, as you read this, there are challenges and risks. You have to ask your question, this question, what are the challenges and risks whenever there's change? One of the things that the church would like to do, I have to say I'd like to do, is I don't like, you know, when something like this came up, it would have been really easy for some of the apostles to say, let's just kind of, you know, we can go out and we can do the Gentile work. Let's just, Jerusalem doesn't need to make way in on this. But they said, no, we need to bring clarity to the whole body. We need to do this, and we recognize there will be people who have strong statements of understanding on one side and some on the other. We realize that some people are going to say, look at the circumcision, it's in the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament does it say that it isn't? And then as it comes to, when it comes to the, the, the life of Jesus, he was circumcised, and did Jesus ever teach not against it? No. What you have to do is recognize that when you come with these things that are just challenging, you have to ask yourself, okay, is God leading us to talk about it? And in this situation, in this case, it was very clear. They said, we're not, we, we need to bring present this concern. 
We need to be in this present if we're going to fulfill the mission God has called us to. And then there's a second thing. Essentials for salvation. Whenever you come to reset, you have to ask yourself, which is a very, very important question. What is essential and what is not? And in in, in theological terms, the word essential is used to mean what is a core doctrine around this whole idea of salvation that preserves the fact that we come to faith through the grace that is provided through Jesus Christ. So if you look at Acts 15, 6 through 10, he says, So the apostles, the elders, met together to resolve the issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed them and says, We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. What I want to share with us as a congregation is we are going to be anchored in the word of God. And the way that we as a church have always anchored ourselves as a free church is this way. If you want to, anytime... Go look at the statement of faith. We have it on our website. You can go to the free church and read it. And it says in the EFCA, there are 10 principal statements that, that are unchangeable. We will not touch. There's one around God. There's one around the statement of the Bible. There's around, one around the human condition. There's a statement around Jesus Christ. There's a statement on the work of Christ. There's a statement on the Holy Spirit. There's a statement on the church. There's a statement on Christian living. There's a statement on Christ's return, and there's a statement that speaks about this idea of um, our response and our eternal destiny. I will tell you as a pastor and as elders, having been here some 12 years, these are incredibly good core biblical doctrines. We will not touch those. That's the word. We believe for there to be the ability to be a church that continues to be centered on God the Father and the, and, and the work and the, and the revelation of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Those are important. And so as you look at this passage of Scripture and they have a reset, they have some challenges and risks. They need to bring them to the service. They need to work through them if they're going to continue the mission that will reach what God want, who he wants to reach. And then they say there are some things that are essential, that are important, that are core to what we believe. And then there's a third thing that's really important as you, you go through this passage of Scripture. They ask the question, what's this new work God is doing? It's about the Spirit's confirmation. Can we look and see anywhere in this? Is the Spirit of God at work? So as we move through this and you have this challenge and, and in the risks that are involved with what does it mean as we hold to the core doctrine, do we see as we look at any of these things, is the Spirit of God active? And so in Acts chapter 15, verses 12, 14... Everyone listened quietly to Barnabas and Paul who told about miraculous and signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And the, the point of that is, is what he had said just earlier, that God confirmed that he accepts him by giving him the Holy Spirit. The fact is this, that the Holy Spirit is actively working when there's signs and wonders. God is saying, I affirm, I'm, I'm coming alongside this in moving. And then the fourth thing is they make this statement. The prophets predicted it. Do we see this? Do we see it in the Bible? Is there biblical support? The fourth, is there a biblical support for how God is leading? There's an important principle in free church as I grew up and was trained in this 
having been at all, in free church all my life, is, is the principle that says, where stands it written? Came from a long time ago, and they would always, when they would debate, where stands it written? And they would find, and they'd put their finger on scripture. And so whenever you look at any kind of reset, you have to ask yourself, where stands it written? Is there biblical support for where God is leading this? Yeah, we can say that the Holy Spirit's in this, but is it also not only of the Spirit, but is the Word supporting it? And I just want to say as a church family, we need to do that. We need to always say, is God leading in such a way? Do you know that when I was growing up, uh, one of the things that they talked about often was, was there, uh, is it, is, should the free church, should the, should the church baptize infants and, or, or should they only baptize believers? And, and to understand that, you have to understand that this church came from Europe and specifically from Scandinavia, where they were always baptizing infants. And, and what I found interesting as I was researching, doing work on some of this stuff, in the 2005 Free Church Ministerial, where the pastors come together to, to, to debate, now some hundred years later, they're still debating whether it should be infants or believers. And you know what they said? Where stands it written? If it is not a core basic doctrine, we will allow for there to be disagreement. We will allow for churches to make decisions on how they look at those kind of things. So is there biblical support? The fifth is this. Missional hindrance. Does this hinder the work of reconciling the word to God? The world to God. Does it place unnecessary obstacles? And so in verses 19 and verse 28 it says, So my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. For it seemed good, and I, I think this is really interesting language, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Isn't that kind of interesting? You know, they're, they're saying, yet yeah, the Holy Spirit and we agree that we shouldn't put a burden on him. So those are five things that I just want us to think about. If I talk about those four commitments, I want us to look at the five things that you can draw from the word of God that says, yeah, there's going to come times where there's challenges and risks and people are going to have different uh, sides to a certain equation, uh, a certain issue. And the reality is you don't just kind of not deal with it. You bring it to the surface. And then you start asking yourself questions like, is this core? Is it essential to salvation? Is the spirit of God at work? Is there biblical support? And if the mission is so important, will, will what we move towards hinder or will make a clear path for people to come to repentance and faith? So with those biblical principles, we said this. Together we are committed to live and share the gospel to every generation with a focus on these emerging generations, this younger generation's And we said we were going to begin with three resets, which we're going to share a little bit later, that we want to look into our focus and future. We want a church name that matches our focus and future. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to discuss this. None of this has been decided. We will look at a governance that matches our focus and future. Again, this is another process. How do we empower women's leadership? Is there a way that we can have both men and women at the table? What does that look like? What does that mean? And then finally, there's a staff and leadership that matches our focus and future. I'll bring this up in the congregational meeting, but it's real clear to us about two years ago, we have seven staff members that are about approaching 65 or older. 
So we need to do some succession kind of planning. And so that's one of the things that's been a part of how do we say, if there's a reset and we're moving into this, let's look at these three things and we'll continue to look at things as we go through the next six months to two years. This is going to be a process. So I'm going to end with just sharing with you, I've given you a whole bunch of lists. I've given you the four commitments of, of, of talking about unity, being anchored in God's word, that we want to be spirit-led, that we want to be people of prayer. So all this is birthed out of our hearts being aligned by listening to God and one another, which we've been doing. Oh, I should mention, as we go into the spring, um, Ash Wednesday and through Lent, we're going to continue prayer. We're going to pray. As I said, the church's credibility has been at a low point. We want to pray for repentance and, and move through a time of confession. We believe that's going to be important for us as a body. And then as I talked about these, uh, these principles that come from first Corinth, uh, from Acts 15, the last thing I want to talk about is just what I call traveling tips. My parents wisened up, I think, when my brother and I, I remember it was around seven or nine years of age. My brother's two years older than me, so when he was nine, I think I was seven. And our, our sister was like two, three, and we always complained that when we'd go on these long traveling road trips, which we did a number of them, my sister got to sit in the middle. Remember the bench seat? Some of you were older. We, she got to sit in the middle. We had to sit in the back. My, my mom and dad finally wisened up because the trips that we would take sometimes became very difficult and it was hard for them as parents. And so I remember at one point, um, they would give us these what we call traveling tips. And it was this idea that before we leave, kids, you need to go to the bathroom. And it wasn't just when we leave the home for the long trip. It was anytime we went to a restaurant or anybody, it was always a, you need to do the bathroom check. Right? Anybody learn those kind of things? And then, and then they came up with another one that I thought was interesting. Before we go, make sure you have some things in the car with you that you can play with or keep yourself busy with. These are just traveling tips for kids. And, and then they came up with another one that you need to be respectful of each other's space. You guys can start out, you have the whole back seat to yourselves. But if you guys start fighting, we're going to draw a middle line right here, and you're going to have a limit on your space. Anybody have those problems when you're kind of in the car? And, and then the last thing with the traveling tips, they would, they would always say this. They say, you know what, I know you're going to keep asking, when are we there? Are we, are we there yet? We will let you know. <laughs> Here's some traveling tips for us, Okay. You're going to be saying, when are we, are we there yet? We'll let you know. God will make that clear. Here, here they really are. This is a journey. This is not a light switch. You don't go into a room. It's not like going to a room and the elders made some decisions and then they're switching a the light and it's on. This is more like a process of like when you punch a computer button and things start whirring and start coming and then they start coming up. That's what this is going to look like. And I want to also say this. We invite everyone on this journey. We are trying to say, like, if you go in the airport and it says, where are we going to go? We don't want you to be confused. We are saying we want to reach people with the gospel. That's going to be part of our mission. And we also know there has to be an emphasis as our church body, as we look at it from a survey, has to be an emphasis on embracing and empowering these generations that are coming up. So that means we have to do some things differently. But we want to do it together because everybody is important. That's where we're heading. You're all invited, but we also know sometimes in those situations, people go, you know what? This doesn't feel comfortable for me. This isn't where I land. And we we want everybody, but we also recognize if you did choose not to go a certain direction, we love you. We are not. Uh, we, we pray that nobody stands in judgment of one another. And then let's be kind to one another. 
think the best of each other, agree to disagree, seek to understand and, 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 and know one another. But above all, different than the world, let's respect and honor and commit to being kind. Grace and I, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, flew in to the airport. We had parked our car in the long-term parking. We went there. It was late, getting later at night. We went and we, you know, pushed our car. It has like this push button thing, which I'm not, I, I like the key thing. For some reason, I feel like I have more power on that. I don't know. We pushed it and it just went click, 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 click. And I, oh no, what do we do? We're sitting in this place, in this airport, it's a little bit later at night. So we thought, let's call our insurance company. We get them on the phone. It's this long process to try and get someone to come out and just jump our car. I saw a guy, younger guy, got his family in the car. And I just said, do you have a cable? He goes, I think I may. And he opens the trunk and he just takes out all of his luggage. I'm feeling horrible. And he's now he's taking out this. I didn't even know you could do it. He took out this thing that underneath the car, he starts looking. He gets it all out. And he's standing there looking at me. He goes, I, I don't have any. Thank you so much. And now I'm not sure what to do. We're going to be waiting for two hours for this thing. I thought, I'm just going to go, you know, across towards the terminal through that little, you know, ramp that goes over. And I start walking over there. And here's a guy coming this way towards me. You know, there's like eight different levels. I don't know how many exactly. But I'm thinking, I'm just going to ask him. And he, he I said, can would you be willing to jump us if you have cables? And he goes, um, yeah. He goes, what floor are you on? He said, I, I hope you're on three. I said, yes, we are. So he comes and he gives me this little battery thing and I bring it over my car and jump the thing right up like that and I was so impressed with his kindness and so my wife wrote him the next morning hey Tim this is Kevin and Grace who you singly handed single handedly rescued from certain death by exposure in the airport parking ramp thank you so much for your gracious attitude and generous gift of time when anyone in their right mind would just want to get home You planted a seed, maybe even as big as a seedling in us, to pass those same blessings on to others. Tim wrote back, Thank you for the kind words. Your note has reminded me that years ago I would challenge myself to perform 12 acts of kindness for strangers in a year. In recent times with the polarization of people and society, it has been easy to forget that we are all in this together and we all need a helping hand from time to time. So thank you for the reminder to pay it forward. I will renew my challenge of 12 acts of kindness. 11 more to go. We have the greatest mission, you guys. God has called us to do something that could impact the lives of people for eternity. And I was going to challenge us through this whole process that we do it as a family, as brothers and sisters, because we're not strangers. If a guy coming out of an airport can say, I'm going to do 12 of these to strangers, how much more can we as a body say, Jesus, let's come together and let's love one another and let people just process. Let them be who they are, but do so out of deep love and respect. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father, our deepest desire is to be in a passionate relationship with you. And the only reason we are passionate with you is because you have been passionate first with us. And it's our desire, God, to not live out of our own comfort, but God, 
to be willing to set our own preferences, our own self aside, that we might be a part of this incredible mission that you, Jesus, demonstrated and you actually did on our behalf. So God, I am so excited about the adventure you have for us, for where you want to take us and for the lives that you want to impact in this next generation. And God, I pray just as we can look back at some of these women who started the church and others who've invested in the church, that God, we will look back as a people some 20 years from now and you, we will just be able to say, God, look what you've done. It may have not been exactly the way we had done it, but it's the way you wanted it done. And so God, we give ourselves to you. And we ask that you would be moving and working in us as we study your word, as we come together, led by the spirit and deepened through prayer. We give ourselves to you in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. And in about 1115, we're going to start that congregational meeting. If you're listening live stream, you'll be going off. You'll have to come back in to be a part of that. God bless. Thanks.